Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Business of Sports Tour and Podcast. I'm Joel Lamp, the Convention uh, Visitors Bureau Sports Sales Manager here in Huntsville, Alabama, and I'm joined by my co-host, Cherie Gwynn with Spokane Sports. And Cherie, great to ha- uh, see you again. Great to chat great. today. <laughs> great to see you too, Joel. Um, you, guys are, you guys are a little busy today. Thank you, Cherie. I'm glad you recognize well, We're going to bring it. I got it. It's all about segues and production value. And we'll bring in our guest, Alan Verlander. We're blessed to have him. Uh, Alan's the CEO and founder of Airstream Ventures. We're uh, excited to have him as our guest this week here on the show. And uh, Cherie, before we segue back in, as we segue back out of introducing Alan for a second. Um, <laughs> hey, uh, you guys are busy right now. Um, how many how many straight weeks of indoor track and field have you guys had? <laughs> How many straight weeks? Um, let's see, five, four. This is like 10 or 12 weeks of indoor track and field. So we're concluding the last of our conference championships right now as we're hosting the WAC indoor um, track and field championships. And then we do a little split and we have our Washington State High School Basketball Championships over at our arena while we're also hosting our last indoor um, track uh, championship, which is the West Coast High School Championships next weekend. So big transition for us as we kind of convert from indoor track and field to um, basketball and volleyball. Well, and that kind of leads us into March Madness. And uh, Alan, you and I have had a couple of March Madness soirees over the years. Um you know, yeah, four to be exact. Four, not that anybody, <laughs> not that is exactly counting. Not that we're counting. And not that we can probably tell you the exact dates and everything. Sure, you guys had a you guys had a little taste of March Madness uh two years ago, I think, or three. Uh last year we hosted last year. regionals. Mm-hmm. It was a great opportunity. We hosted uh Stanford, which was phenomenal. And we had some local gals here. So it really rallied the community around it. Um, we have a year off, but next year we host men's first and second rounds. Oh, that's fantastic. That'll be a lot of fun. If yeah. you need to volunteer for it, you know, I, I'd be willing to fly to Spokane to to help you guys for that one. Watch what you ask for. <laughs> I, I I've gotten I I may be getting roped into going to Birmingham in three weeks for the first and second rounds there. So um, I'm, I'm excited to go and not be uh, the guy running it this time. So it, it'll, it'll be nice to go and uh, enjoy it again. So, you know, think, Hey, Alan, think about this, go back to 2010. So Sheree, imagine this. Uh, we were the host, in, we were at the host institution we advanced to the NIT for the first time uh, in what twenty something years. We were playing postseason basketball forever. Yeah, and it's the same year we're hosting the first and second rounds. Throw on top of it, your first round game is at Arizona State at eleven o'clock Eastern time. We, Alan and I flew from Jacksonville to uh, Tempe, got there in time to get on the team bus to go to the game. About 1.15 in the morning, our senior point guard hits a, banks in a three-pointer at the buzzer to send us to the second round of the NIT. We now have to get on a plane and fly back to Jacksonville 
and be there in time for the walkthrough the day before the game start. It was a was incredible. Yeah. What a whirlwind you know, of uh, 24 hours. Oh. Yeah. You look back at that because it was so funny because then we had um, you, we had the practice day, Joel, and then we were a Friday-Sunday regional that year. Mm-hmm. So we had the games on Friday, and you know the games, you're there early in the morning and they don't get done until, you know, you're leaving the arena at 1 a.m. Then we had a private plane that was taking us on Saturday morning because the practices in the NCAA are closed flying us out to to Lubbock, Texas, which is a long flight. We should have won the game. We we barely lost. We had to fly all the way back. We get back about midnight and then we had to be at the arena the next morning at 8 a.m. for the final two games of March Madness. So you look back now and it was, it was one of the coolest memories ever, uh, I think, that I've ever had in, in definitely in college sports, but all the sports. But man, I think we slept for about three days afterwards. No question, no question. That was a that was a fun week. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't get comp time. You think I can go back and bill them for that now? Well, if you if you claim that you really only worked about four hours a day anyway, I mean, there were, if you if you amateurize that four that you did work each day, so th- that was. Uh, lunch and everything you probably made money on that deal <laughs> i probably no i don't know i don't know but, over seven years uh, i was about to say well i don't know that post-game celebration may have been a little expensive yeah well it was very expensive but it was worth it yeah no question no question well um uh, uh for those of you who are following along alan berlander is our guest um Alan is the founder and CEO of Airstream Ventures, and uh, you can follow him at Alan Verlander on Twitter. Alan is not kin to Justin Verlander, Cherie. I know that was going to be one of the questions you were going to ask him. How'd you know? <laughs> he he will try to claim that, but alas. Uh, we are six cousins. Is this the Kevin That's Bacon? Like, yes. Yeah, there's six. Separation. Oh, there's six degrees <laughs> of separation. All right. Yeah. I mean, nor, I, nor have I met him, nor does any money come this way. So I might as well just be not related. <laughs> um, You know, I, we talk, We just talked about the March Madness thing. You know, it's 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 a ton of work, and but it, it's by far one of the best events you can host. Oh, 100%. We have sellout crowds for men's. It sells out in less than a week. Women's is right up there, which is why we get a continuous rotation between the two. So we're very fortunate in that aspect. So, yeah. Uh, well, you know, in Jacksonville, in Jacksonville, it's such, we're such a weird market because we're not a, Jacksonville is not a huge basketball market. Um, Spokane's a huge basketball market, obviously. You have one of the top teams in the country that plays there, you know, but um, in Jacksonville, it's not really a big basketball market. And so what I think is great for March Madness is not only are you on a national stage, but in Jacksonville's case, there's a ton of people that come in that travel in to buy tickets on on top of all the teams that come in. So normally each year, the city wouldn't even be sold out. We would have to rely on, it was kind of like a bowl game. You'd have to rely on the teams that were selected to buy the remainder of your tickets. So it truly was 
a great event, but it was also a huge sports tourism event for the community. And that's one of the things that kind of gets lost a little bit sometimes in Sheree, you and I talk about this a lot um, from sports tourism standpoint, we always, you, you get caught up in the, the heads and beds of the kids and the parents. But for some of these events, March Madness being a great example, the, the, the heads and beds component is, is also based off of the people coming in to watch to, to, to add on to that number. Yeah, absolutely. We compound ours with a huge USA volleyball national qualifier. So room nights are a premium here. I mean, you're talking about over 8,000 room nights, you know, per night sold out. So it's a huge, um, you know, between the two events, it's a huge economic boost for the Spokane community. Um, but so let's kind of switch gears here. And Alan, why don't you tell us about your Airstream ventures it looks like you're building a nice like new niche in the sports tourism industry by representing multiple destinations and how did that come about yeah no i mean airstream came about you know we've been in sports for like 30 years and um it came about the idea came maybe six years ago um it's hard to believe we're about to celebrate our fifth year um that's nuts the, the year that Joel and I hung out on the very first day in Buffalo Wild Wings, um, and which is a funny story in and of itself. But, um, you know, about a year before that, I'd really been thinking about, you know, primarily in Jacksonville, we can be doing sports and sports tourism differently. And, um, you know, we're probably the company to do it. So let's start this company and do it. And we're, we, I think Joel and I kind of saw it, this um, need during COVID that these communities coming out of COVID, a lot of people um, got rid of a lot of staff. Um, unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, people lost their jobs. And, and there was this unique opportunity in smaller communities to where maybe their CBB staff had one or two people, maybe three at most. And events was not something that was really on the top of their mind, even though they needed to do them. And so we saw a need um, in Clay County and, and our partnership there. And then that kind of spurred on to Sebring. And then now we're in five communities. Um, we'll be announcing some more communities soon. So um, we've seen this, yeah, this little niche of, of um, that we can come in. We have um, eight full-time people. So not only are we bringing in that that sales opportunity and we'll bring events to your community, but on the back of it, end of it, we can help run tickets, we can help run operations, we can help run marketing. We have a graphics department in our office. So we're kind of a full one-stop shop agency, if you will, versus just one person who's just a salesperson that's bringing in an event. Well, gamut. Sounds a lot similar to like how we operate as a sports commission. It, I mean, you know, some of the bigger ones that are really well run and all that, you do have a lot of that. And so take that, but we're kind of like the, that traveling sports commission to where, you know, Spokane's a, a, I mean, a big community, but some of the communities we're in, you know, it's 50,000 people or, or a lot less and, and they don't have that ability and they don't have the sports expertise, if you will, and the event expertise to have that on staff. And if they, and if they hire just one person to do it, well, then that one person is going to have to do everything where again, they can hire us and we'll, or we are a full service agency 
that is serving as that sports commission in that community. So um, plus, I think it's it's fun that from an NGB standpoint and from an event standpoint, what we're learning is a lot of those people cut staff and they don't have they're having a, a hard time. You know, they used to, as you all well know, book events three, four, five years out. Now it's getting shorter and shorter and shorter because they don't have the time to do that. So if we can work with an NGB or an event to say, listen, we can give you right out of the gate, you know, assuming that you have the facility, but seven cities, five cities, that saves them a lot of time. Um, So I think, you know, we kind of walked into that, but I think we we have found something and, um, you know, the, as we all work in sports, the proofs in the numbers and the proofs in the statistics and, and our, um, our stats on this has been pretty good so far. So I, and going back to, you know, part of this, when we started, it was, you know, finding those destinations now is, as it's grown, what, what are you looking for, I guess, now from the destination partners and what do you feel like they're looking to a degree, you know, that they're looking to you for events and economic impact but what do you what else do you do you feel like they're looking for from you as well you know i i mean we since we've had some success and now we're having a lot of success in charleston west virginia we're starting to get more and more calls from different cities about their their kind of wanting to know where's the magic formula or whatever and you know, I think for us you know we need we want to be in a community that really wants sports tourism you know, a community that can say they want it, but they're not really, there's not nothing there to indicate that they want it. So we really want to be in communities that really want it, that have facilities um, and not, they don't have to have the latest and greatest facilities, but they have to have something to be able to market to. Um, and then, you know, as we are growing, we're building more and more relationships in this space. So I think as you're talking to a CEO or a director of sales with that community, um, you know, we can bring, if you look at the list of everybody we work with from maybe the Spartans of the world now to USA Volleyball, to USA tenna- Table Tennis, to Strongman, to Moto Surf, to whatever it is, we now have a a pretty big stable of about 30 to 35 events or different types of events that we could potentially bring to your community. So it's, it's a very quick ramp up versus you hire somebody and now you got to get them really ramped up into your system where we come in right away and just start calling all of our contacts and saying, Hey, we're in this new city. Now I think this event that you run would work. So, uh, but again, going back to, it sounds easy, but if you're working with a community that doesn't really want that, but they want to say they want it, then it doesn't make it doesn't make sense and it never works. So I think there's got to be mutual partnership and mutual vision on both sides of it. That totally makes sense and uh, plays into like as you've developed this program, how do you handle which destinations you push for different events and do those conflict as you're working with different destinations? Yeah, so I think I such a great question. It's something we we look at every day. And Joel and I have talked about this. We're we're very strategic because we don't want to monopolize states. For instance, I don't want to be representing six different communities in Florida because now I'm having to choose which city to take an event to. So we don't want to do that. We want to get to about, you know, our goal in the next couple of years to get to about 20 communities. 
that all have different things to offer in different parts of the country. So, you know, some of our communities don't have a big arena. Some do. So the ones that don't have a big arena, we're going after the moto surfs and the pro water crosses and some of these water events, golf tournaments, the ones that have big arenas, well, we're going after the big Olympic qualifiers or the Olympic type of events. So we're not competing against each other and the communities aren't competing against each other. And y'all know y'all been in it a long time An event, you know, Florida is a very marketable state, right? No, it is not. I mean, who wants to be in Florida for crying out loud? I mean, <laughs> yeah, the weather's terrible here. Um, <laughs> Especially in, you know, February today on February 24th, it's awful that it's 81 degrees. Um, but We were negative but, seven this morning. <laughs> you were what? Negative seven. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'd rather be at negative seven than 81. I mean. It's like you know, golf. Lower, lower is better, right? Yeah, that's right. It's like a golf score. Come on. Wow. <laughs> Come on. But but you look at like if an event's looking to come to Florida and we're representing West Virginia, let's say, they're probably not looking at West Virginia and thinking we're either going to go to West Virginia or Florida. They've already got their mind made up in Florida. And so we we don't really compete. We want to be in different markets that are competing, that we're not never selecting where to take them. And so far, um, when we bring on cities like that, that has come to place that so we're very strategic in um selecting the cities and the city selecting us where they're never going to be you know there'd be very little i'm not going to say never but very little overlap and very little having to choose between one city or another that's more of an art than a science but so far you know we're five almost we're about to be six cities in and and it does really work so far well, yesterday was a big announcement in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, what's next on the horizon for you? Yeah, that really was. I think what we found with Charleston, it's a unique city. It's the capital of the state. Um, they've got great facilities there that are right in the middle of downtown. And so you're literally a three-minute walk to several hotels and restaurants from the facility. So um, we found a little niche there. Um, we're going to be announcing some more events coming there because of their facilities and, and layout there. But, um, you know, we've got some other exciting events coming in our other markets um, that we're, you know, that we'll be announcing here soon. Um, you know, the, the, the water sports in Clay County and, and Sebring continue to, to be huge for us. Um, and the, those sporting events love obviously being in Florida and, and the water there. So, um, I think the next level for us is, um, really hitting those other sports. Like for instance, in Jacksonville, Florida, this weekend where we live, we have the first leg of the national championship for the Spartan race. Um, so Spartan is one of our bigger, uh, partners and we've taken them to a couple of our cities now. And it's a huge home run success because to date so far in just Jacksonville, there's, um, I think we've got close to 10,000 competitors from 30 states and five different countries. So big, big um, opportunity. They just did an event in Sebring where they had huge numbers, record numbers. So, um, you know, we want to expound upon those and, and then really continue to build um, some new event partners that we can take to multiple cities as well. What's your geographic scope 
Like where, what's your goal? Like, are you trying to reach all across the U S or it sounds like you're creeping up the East coast. So what's, what's your kind of end goal? Yeah. There? You know, uh, I, I think from an, from a, we kind of have the East coast covered, maybe, maybe one or two. Um, we're going to announce a new partnership here soon, kind of near there. Um, and then, you know, we've talked to some, some cities in the, in the Midwest and um, out West, out your way. Cherie. So, um, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's just gotta be the right city and the right model and the financial model. Obviously if we're in California, those are a little different than driving down to Sebring or stuff like that. So it's, but it's also, we're going to, we're continuing to work with some events that have said, Hey, could we hire y'all? because we've lost a lot of staff, could we hire y'all to go help us book our, all of our events? So sometimes that will then lead us into a new city opportunity. So it just depends on, um, you know, each day looks a little different. It depends on who we're talking to and, and what the game plan is. But I would say if we're talking two years from now and we're in 20 markets, I would say that there'd be probably a decent concentration in the Southeast, some maybe up Northern, and then, a, you know, some in the Midwest and maybe a few out, out West. And, you know, that kind of would, would cover and be able to, to um, you know, get us to that 20 city mark. Let me, let me recommend Coeur d'Alene, Idaho to you. They've got a great golf course and uh, I, and of golf courses, I can own you on this one, buddy. Don't let them fool you. Oh, Yeah. I am. I've realized the mistake that I've always made playing you is I didn't play you at altitude. Altitude, I it's game on. That well, it it negates the the distance, right? Bingo. I'm hitting it just as far as you are. Then Joel just had to lean on well, his it, to make it even plausible that he could compete with anyone. Joel has beat me a few times. I, I will I, I will admit that he's got me a few times. Um, I think most of those times, well, he hit a brilliant sand shot out of the bunker on 18 to beat me one time. So he, uh, they still, they still, have they put the plaque in yet? I don't know that they put that. I think that was, uh, that was an asterisk. <laughs> um, that was in the asterisk category, but then he's beat me head up fair and square a few times. So I, I I'll give him props on that. Yeah. He may be able to beat me right now. Cause I haven't literally probably swung a club in about four or five months so he probably would be able to get me right now but golf season's coming the players is about to be here the swing will be well grouped absolutely absolutely <laughs> uh, so so as we uh kind of wrap up i you know you you mentioned hitting all those destinations the the other thing i have you seen more? I know it was something we started a little bit with the pro water cross guys. Are you seeing more now of uh, the groups that want to just, Hey, give me three cities. I need to host events. Yeah, I think so. Because what you saw is those uh, events weren't able to keep all their staff. And so that those staff that worked on advancements and, and getting events further out, um, we were just having this conversation with um, a few of our events uh, last week because they just 
they they're trying to run events and try to get ahead of events and it's very hard to do that so um for instance i mean this usa volleyball usa volleyball is one of the premier um ngbs out there and the event that we just announced um is happening in september so in this year which you know in years past you might have been booking that two to three years out and so i think what we've been able to do is say okay if we have the facilities, um, let us go, let us go find you those cities. And that's just all a part of, you know, we don't necessarily charge for that because of the fact that if we can get those events in those cities that are paying us to do that, it becomes a win, win, win all the way around. So I think you're going to see that more and more where these events need help. Um, they not only need help in finding more locations, Cherie, you've probably seen this being a full service agency there. They need help running these events too um, from all the different opportunities, you know? So I think there's big opportunities out there um, for sports councils that have full service agencies and then for companies like us that can bring that um, commodity to the table. We talked a little bit about that a couple of episodes ago. It's very desirable. And it's, I think, something that's certainly set us apart from, you know, our other uh, sports commissions with the, across the nation is truly just our performance on the full service side of things of executing it from start to finish. Yeah, it's, it's because if they have short staffs and, and smaller staffs, they need they need help. So we can with eight people, I can depending on what it is and. I can send two to three people to help them. And those people know what they're doing. They've been around events. They're there to help, you know, make the events successful um, for our partner city. So, you know, I, I, I think that's important as sports commissions start going forward and especially the ones that are shorter staff, but that do have some people that, that are sports commission, man, you, you really need to look at potentially bringing on a few more because those that are fully staffed, that do such a great job, maybe even if you don't even have the the facilities, the the nice facilities, sometimes you'll win out in getting those events because you have the full service behind you. You especially see that in the smaller like NGB worlds, you know, you like the badmintons of the world and, you know, some judos and you definitely see that kind of across, especially on a smaller scale. But we, I mean, we see it through and through of, you know, why we have the success rate of return business and um, also just the grassroots side of things of growing those local sports um, within your community. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do that with one person running a sports commission, you know, it's just, it's, it's challenging. And um so, I mean, those that can really think forward and do that, I mean, when you're as good looking as Joe Lamp, you can attract any kind of event. But but if, if, if you're not that good looking, then those full service opportunities are important. Yeah, that's that's how I'm booking all of our business right now. <laughs> that's it. My my dashing good looks. They they're like, who's the old guy? How didn't he got like a foot in the grave at this point? It's your Richard Gear hair. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. No, but it's important. I mean, it's definitely, I think that's something that is is discounted right now. And when you talk to the NGBs and the, the event rights holders, they're looking for help. They're looking for a lot of help. And Sheree, you touched on that. I mean, and so the more that you can do to provide help to them, 
Um, even if, like, I was talking to, um, as a consultant to another sports commission, and they don't have very many people, and I suggested to them, listen, then go set up a volunteer bank that that you can do special things for, and, you know, you bring on a volunteer bank and call them something cool, and you do maybe a once-a-month cocktail party for them, and here's what's coming up, and keep them in the know, and all of a sudden, they're there to help you volunteer for these events, and they may not be a paid staff, but they're a part of what you're doing, so there's all different kinds of creative ways to help boost what you're able to do, even if you don't have a uh, significant budget increase. We've certainly leaned into like contract work as well. So like we contract like a meet director to come up for a couple of our indoor meets. We also contract um, with uh, like news media, like when we're doing like big events where we need media coordination. So we've seen, we've seen like some different models that have been very successful where it's not, you know, so having someone on your payroll full time. But yeah, volunteers are huge. And I think that's a big part of when we look at events is do we have the infrastructure on the grassroots side of things? So like when we're hosting judo, do we have a robust judo community that can come out and be that skilled uh, worker or that asset that we can't necessarily fulfill? We can fulfill, you know, the move in and all the heavy lifting. But when it comes to sports specific, we really have to lean into our local um, community to be able to provide that infrastructure behind it. That's that's one of the things we've struggled with a little bit and one of the things to answer that issue is we've gone out and hired the um we've got three colleges here in town so we've we've gone out and hired the college kids paid them an hourly deal hey we need somebody to help flip the scores at beach volleyball bam we got kids i mean it's a budget item and we got to figure that out but it's also one of those things we're kind of just having to build in now um because we know that these events don't they need all the help they can get so hey if we can provide hey we've got the we've got access to this um group of labor we can help make your event success so all right uh well we're running out of time for this week's episode so um it's time for us to do our uh, uh question of the day um today's question of the day is because this is airing uh after the first and second rounds of march madness um, what is your favorite March Madness moment? And in honor of Ben not being able to join us today because he is out contributing to his community by being a game, uh, an official at a high school uh, playoff game, his uh, he emailed in his uh, favorite moment was watching his hometown Villanova Wildcats beat UNC at the Final Four in Houston in 2016. That's his favorite moment. Um, Alan, since you're our guest, what's your favorite moment? Wow. Well, we touched on ours, um, or mine, um, was that, that, uh, year that, um, in 2010, but one of the neatest things to drill down into more of that is as I was the tournament director, Joel was the, the media director. And as, as the director, you have to lead a meeting, um, but your your ops guy kind of leads the meeting, but you're leading that meeting. And so Joel and I are walking into the the big room in the arena where all the athletic directors and head coaches and all of that. And um, this was unfortunately before cell phones and selfies were really a thing back then. And I mean, cell phones were there, but selfies were certainly not. And so um, 
I remember Joel is getting updates on where we're going to, who we're going to play in the NIT. And we didn't know quite who, and they were reseeding everything, all that kind of stuff. So we're not paying attention to anything. I grab a seat and I sit down and no lie. I look to my right and it's Rick Pitino because we have Louisville. And I look to my left and it's Mike Krzyzewski because we had Duke. And so here I am somewhat leading this meeting in between two legendary coaches. And I often think all the time about that because I remember joking to both of them, man, if I had a camera, you know, it's there, I could sell the seat for a lot of money. Right. And so I often wish somebody, I could have texted somebody cause I don't think we were really texting a lot back then either. I could have texted Joel to say, Hey, would you take a picture of this real quick? <laughs> this is pretty cool. But of course I, I have the memory, not the uh, photo, but that's probably my most fun memories that whole 2010 week, but then leading a meeting for an hour in between two legendary coaches. is Pretty cool. That is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Sheree, what's your favorite March madness moment? Well, I have a couple, um, but probably like the most memorable <laughs> when I was a kid was probably when Gonzaga finally made it into the sweet 16 in 1999. It was a, uh, Gonzaga versus Florida and it really kind of spurred the catalyst of them I think they've been on what 22 consecutive straight NCAA appearances and it was the catalyst that I think kind of took and stormed you know stormed Spokane for surprise as far as you know what we had the gem of Gonzaga here so I think as a kid that was so memorable and I remember that like, I grew up in a very very small town and there was another uh, rivalry town and one of their um athletes made it onto Gonzaga as one of the starting five and so watching him play through was very memorable knowing that like hey the small town kid made it into the big time right and so I think that's big and then the other thing is is because of my connection of what we do with NCAA is I agree I uh, greet all of the um, teams when they arrive at all of the hotels so I get that nice connection and welcome and work with like team parents. And so I think that's super exciting to see like the awe, you know, struck moment, especially for some of these kids that have never made an NCAA tournament um, to be able to be there and welcome them to Spokane for sometimes the you know first time they've ever made it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yes. All right. So mine, Alan, you're going to love this one. Um, Cause I got, I got to be quick on this one. So mine lives every year. In March Madness, you get to see my moment. You get to see me in one shining moment every year. I'm the I'm in the background of a highlight. The, the shot. The kid from Georgia State hits the three pointer to beat Baylor with like two seconds left. His dad's the head coach. He just falls off his stool in front of me at the scores table. My seat is next to one of the benches. He falls off. He has torn his Achilles for the second time in two weeks because we ha we'd had to rig up some stuff to get his scooter out on the floor and all this stuff. He has fallen off the stool. We think he's dead for a second. I like we're all standing up. We're like, what do we do? The horn's not going off. The game's still going on. And 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 there's this sheer look of terror on me and the uh, arena ops people who are sitting next to me, like. Oh my God! What do we do? The guy he he's he's had a heart attack. You know what what happened now? He's like he's sitting on the floor, like trying to coach his team and all this stuff. And we're standing in the background, and you can see us on. And it's every year 
that is by far i mean granted it's in video but it the whole shoot every monday is, night at 1108 you can see joel left after the natty you can that see it you story. can see it every year every year when they start showing great moments in ncaa tournament history there's me in the background so Sheree, it's probably 808 your time right <laughs> yeah we're, we're all going to bed you're just getting started that's right <laughs> Well, guys, thanks again uh, for uh, Alan. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, appreciate you taking the time out to join us on the Business Sports Tour- Tourism Podcast. No, thank you. I think it's an important um, thing. Uh, so keep up the great work. It's uh, it, Sports tourism is a growing industry. And for you all to be able to do podcasts like this is important. So kudos to you. Thanks. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. We'll see you in two weeks with our next one. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs>